is shitty. You know, like yeah. Zoom would do this shit. <laughs> yeah, we treat. You know what? I'm going back to Skype, the original. <laughs> We're just gonna Skype oh, from now. Oh God. On. You know, in the very early days of the pandemic, I was using Skype, and then everyone's like, oh, no, Zoom, 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 Zoom meetings. We're working on Zoom. I'm like, I guess I should uh, probably download this then, right? It's so weird how that, I mean, that company existed before the pandemic, surely, but like, I had not heard oh, of it. Oh, yeah. How did how did oh, everybody I, hear about it at the same time? I had used it exactly once before the pandemic, and oh. weirdly enough, it was still in 2020. It was in uh, late January. I had I had an interview. I, it was on Zoom, and I'm like, uh, okay, this is interesting. <laughs> Man, I should have bought stock in uh, whatever company owns Zoom at Who that knew? meeting. You know? Yeah. Who knew? And it's not like there were, you know, there's like Google Meetup, and there was there was other video messaging options at the time, but everyone was oh, like, yeah. no, I want to use this new thing. Like, wh- why? We're all using Zoom. Like, no one's using Hangouts. Yeah. No one's yeah. using Skype. No, no one's using Discord video. Cool workplaces are using Discord video. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy that everyone was like, oh, all these other things exist, and I have accounts for them already, but no, I want a new thing. We're using this now. It's like, well, all right. <laughs> I guess so. Just out of nowhere. Oh, Random. My God. So how Random. was yeah? How was Easter? How was good for you guys. Very good. It's um. You know, I guess I just, Easter wasn't like Easter was just like a church holiday in in my house growing up. But now it's like yeah, moved fully. Now into it's a family life. holiday. Yeah. Now it's well, and it was like obviously when I was growing up, I had a family, but like we. <laughs> Wait, like, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, and and we'd like we had an Easter basket, but there it was like, you know, maybe like a big chocolate bunny and some jelly beans in the bottom. Mm-hmm. And now like it, it's basically like Christmas too. Like I've 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 joined oh, a family yeah. or I've created a family. I've co-created a family <laughs> where it's like Christmas too now where you know, the Easter bunny just goes all out and it's like there's a bunch oh, of Oh yeah presents and stuff and and multiple easter egg hunts throughout the day and so i just was not i was like well there's i was like we're not going to church so uh you know i guess uh, it's gonna be cool if i and then i was like oh my gosh this is a lot more involved than i thought it was gonna be <laughs> see that's um that's how it's pretty much always been for me i wouldn't say christmas too i would say like christmas junior yeah um but not necessarily like uh, as extravagant as Christmas, but it's always been like a very busy day um, yeah. between like between church and between uh, like a family dinner and between egg hunts. And yep. as I've gotten older, uh, just like going home, seeing the family, uh, hanging out with all the nieces and nephews. Um, but it, it's always been a very like busy and exhausting day. And when you said that, oh yeah, we should be fine to record on Sunday. <laughs> At ten thirty in the morning, I, I told at ten thirty in the morning. I told that to Grace, <laughs> and she said, "Oh, he'll change his mind." <laughs> I honestly had. No, I was like, "Yeah, well, uh, well, breakfast." And I didn't even have like normally we have to get up and make breakfast, but Sarah made like a special casserole thing, and yeah, I just Ooh. had. I mean, I'm like, I'm like now the clueless dad too. You know, there's like the Twitter joke that goes around. <laughs> it's like my favorite part of Christmas morning is was always my dad being just as surprised at what my parents got me as I am. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, like, that that was totally it. I was like, where did you, where were you hiding all this stuff? Like, and then I, I and I knew we had an egg hunt plan too, but I was like, oh, that'll take, you know, 20 minutes max. I was like, this will be fine. And then I was like, nah. And then we were done with everything by, I would say like 11 or noon. But, you know, I, and, but by that point it was like, all right, well now we got to go do our normal 
that's when we're normally done with the podcast. So I was like, all right, well, now we got to do go do our normal Sunday stuff. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Just, it, it ate into <laughs> all that podcasting time. Yep. Oh, my God. As, um, as like the time where we were going to record, like kept creeping like closer. <laughs> and I, actually, like it started like getting like 10, 15 minutes after we would normally start. I'm still sitting on the couch with Grace. She's just on TikTok. And I told her, I'm like, I'm bored out of my mind. Is this what you do like all the time while I'm recording? And she's like, yeah, kind of. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what normally there's, you know, Sarah will be watching TV until the kids start screaming and fighting and and then play with them and stuff. So, yeah, there's there's always something going on while I'm casting, but <clears throat> yeah, I had no I was like, all right, oh, lesson learned. Easter is a big deal. Easter is a big deal now. Lesson learned. All right, should we get started? Might as well, yeah. All right, welcome to No Hugging No Learning. It's a show about one thing, watching Seinfeld for the first time. I'm Tim Murphy and I'm Ted Hollowell. And today we will be talking about Season 8, Episode 6, The Fatigues. But before that, uh, what is the deal with stuff from our last episode, The Package? We started off talking, as usual, not about Seinfeld at all, but uh, we referenced Calvin and Hobbes, and I found out the actual amount of Calvin and Hobbes. Um, this has been extensive, uh, extensively researched by people online, and there are <laughs> a total of 3,151 Calvin and Hobbes comic strips oh my god yeah. that's 10 years worth though so is it yeah yeah, yeah so not I guess bad you're right yeah i mean he took some time off here and there but i you know um you know how much time off do you time off do you need from drawing a cartoon every single day you know especially when you don't merchandise <laughs> at all you know it's like you shouldn't take that's any true. time although off. like <laughs> i'm certain like writer's block gets to you at some point and yeah. then, like, around, like, maybe year three, you're just like, I'm just writing and drawing the same old shit every <laughs> fucking day. Yeah. I do remember some extensive breaks. I seem to remember, like, just from being a big fan of the comics page. Like, but I think that last year, especially, he did, like, I think he did, like, 365 new ones. Like, he didn't, you know, for his last wow. year, he, like, just blew out a whole, yeah, like, all new um, every single day. But I, I could be wrong about that. Um but I was reading it a little bit online, and yeah, so I, I guess that makes sense. Like, you know, you, you are just drawing four, three or four panels every day, plus a Sunday strip. But yeah, you, you get to the point where you're like, I just got to stop and reboot and get some new ideas and do something. Yeah, mm -hmm. I guess you're right. I'm sorry to any uh, cartoonists and budding cartoonists out there if I <laughs> made your job sound small. <laughs> it's like the people Come, who say from... like, I think you're about to say the same thing I was going towards. Yeah, I was going to say coming from the people who are... Uh, talking into microphones inside their spare rooms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, you know, the other microphone that I speak into, and how many times have both of us heard, like, oh, oh, I could do a radio show. My friends are, my friends, and I could definitely do what you do every day. It's like, it's not the same, you know, <laughs> there is a little bit of work that goes into it. I mean, it's great that we're making it sound easy, but, you know, thank you for denigrating and belittling the job that we do. It's the same feeling that I have whenever I watch, like, strongman competitions on ESPN2. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, oh, I could totally do that. They make it look so easy. Yeah, they make it look so easy because they're very, very good at it. Or even if they're not making it look easy, you still talk about it as if you're like, oh, come on, you can't lift the thousand pounds. That last guy, you you could totally do, you know, like, or, or when I watch cooking oh, come shows, on. You, I'm you, like, you, you, you can't lift this barbell that's the weight of the sun. Come on. Yeah. Or, or when I watch cooking shows, I'm like, oh, my God, you undercooked the chicken, you freaking idiot. <laughs> 
And like, I couldn't cook a chicken <laughs> like that, you know, or whatever you're doing. Like, you didn't season it. Oh, my God. What did you use? Uh, what did you use on the Erico Bear? Rosemary? You idiot. Uh, like everyone becomes an expert on, on whatever they're watching, but you can't replicate it. The episode last week started with Newman and Kramer talking about conspiracy theories like the Bermuda Triangle and the alien autopsy. And here's the deal with the alien autopsy. A 17-minute black and white film supposedly depicting a secret medical examination or autopsy of an alien by the U.S. military. It was released in 1995 by London-based entrepreneur Ray Santilli. Yeah. And he presented it as an authentic autopsy on the body of an alien recovered from the 1947 crash of a flying disc near Roswell, New Mexico. And he said he got it from a retired military cameraman who wished to remain anonymous. Like, they let a cameraman keep a copy of the alien autopsy. (laughs) Like, you mind if I take one yeah. of these home? You know, just just put it on my reel. I got to put it on my sizzle just, reel. Just a you know? souvenir. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want to put this in my demo. Yeah, it needs to go on the demo. In 06, San, uh, Santilli admitted that the film was not authentic, but rather a staged reconstruction of footage he claimed to have viewed in 1992. So he saw this footage in 92. He made the reconstruction in 95 and then finally fessed up in 06 that the footage, he said it had been it had deteriorated and become unusable by the time he made his film. Oh, man, those three years mm-hmm. were really rough. 92 to, uh, to 95, those were rough <laughs> oh, for film preservation. <laughs> Very humid year. <laughs> a span of three years, I mean. Uh, he claimed that a few frames from the original were embedded in his film, but he never specified which ones. And the existence of an original film strip of the alleged autopsy has never been independently verified. Uh, now, Fox did broadcast the footage hosted by Jonathan Frakes, a.k.a. Riker from Star yes. Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> and, um, See, he was hosting... I, know, I know Jonathan Frakes more from, uh, what was Ripley's. the show? Were you going to say Ripley's? He didn't do Ripley's. He did. He did do Ripley's. Um, no, Dean Cain did Ripley's. Oh, no. shit. Dean Cain was Ripley's. Jonathan Frakes was uh, Beyond Belief Fact or Fiction, oh. I think was the name of the show. For some reason, like, I mean, chalk this up to, to the Mandela effect. I see him going, believe it or not. You know, I don't know why. But did he, he used did, to say it's beyond belief at the end of every segment? He may have. <laughs> it's I, oh, beyond God. Belief. I know there's like a really good. I know there's a really good video like uh, on Twitter somewhere from a couple of years ago compiling like all of his segues from segments. Yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> what's the biggest fish you ever caught? Have you ever had to reshingle a roof? Or yes. What would you I ever saw do that. if you saw an alien in the sky? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, I, that wasn't Ripley's. Yeah, that's a. Am- I, I totally remember seeing that. I think I want to say it was like talk, not talk soup, but the soup maybe that put that together. But I could be wrong about that. <laughs> oh God, uh, you might be. You might be right on that. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, those random out but of context. You- yeah. <laughs> I love that show though. That was so good. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. But he, so he was the host, and that actually Beyond Belief started in '98, so maybe that got him the gig. Uh, Alien Autopsy in '95 oh, might have gotten him the gig. Maybe. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that was on Fox, and uh, that was broadcast in August of '95 under the title Alien Autopsy: Fact or Fiction. And the program, as Newman and Kramer were talking about, caused a sensation. Time Magazine declared that the film had start- sparked a debate with an intensity <laughs> not lavished on any home movie since the Zapruder film. Whoa. Yeah. 
And I was 14 at the time, and it made such a little impact on me. Obviously, like, I didn't remember. I mean, like, I just knew. I was like, yeah, I seem to remember there being something. And I can picture the grainy black and white footage, but, like, I don't remember the 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 hullabaloo, the hoopla surrounding this at the time. <laughs> and honestly, I was right in the key demo. 14-year-old boys, alien autopsy. I mean, that, like, I don't know what I was doing. But oh, yeah, I, this I thing... I, this thing was broadcast for you, specifically. Yeah. And I could not have cared less. <laughs> wow. And Fo- Fox rebroadcasted. Man, if, I was, if I was in your shoes, like this would have been my whole personality. <laughs> you would have been alien autopsy guy at high school. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> maybe that's why. I was like, you know what? I already don't have many friends. Maybe I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't watch <laughs> Alien Autopsy. <laughs> I can't afford to lose any friends. So you know what? I'm just going to not watch this nerdy thing. I don't need one more nerdy <laughs> thing. <laughs> uh, every time Fox broadcasted, so three times total, and each time it got higher ratings. Wow, that's yeah. unusual. Yeah. Uh, alien artifacts, supposedly items discovered at the crash site, were depicted in the footage. Those included alien symbols and six-finger control panels, which Santilli describes uh, in the documentary as being the result of an artistic license on his part. So later on, they made like kind of a, a mockumentary about the whole thing. I think that's what this is from, where he's like, yeah, I mean, like I took artistic license and I made up what I thought alien symbols and control panels would look like. It's like, what? What? Jesus um, Christ. The footage okay. also showed a guy reading a statement verifying his identity as the original cameraman. And Santilli and I guess his partner and all this admitted that they found an unidentified homeless man on the streets of L.A. and paid him to play the role of the cameraman and filmed him in a motel saying, you know, I am the cameraman of this thing. <laughs> <laughs> so oh who knows where that God. guy ended up? Yeah. And the documentary was also released slightly modified on DVD in 06, if you really want to seek it out. <laughs> what were the what were the slightly modified modifications? You know what I Do don't you know? know. It didn't no, it didn't say. They replaced Dean they replaced uh, Jonathan Frakes with Dean Kane, I think is what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so that's the deal with the alien autopsy. Obviously, it was a huge deal, and people were debating on whether or not it was real. Um, but it sounds like an, uh, I, I don't believe the guy who says it was a recreation of a video that he actually saw three years after the fact. But we also wanted to know, was the interrogation scene in the U.S. Postal Service office a um, homage to Basic Instinct? And it definitely was, uh, at least according to... I think it's um I think it was on the DVD or something like that um in the DVD commentary or somewhere that and Wayne Knight is in in Basic Instinct so uh, that answers that question. Speaking of the interrogation, what it would be the actual punishment for four hundred dollars worth of mail fraud? I don't I couldn't find any answer to that, but I did find a lot of uh, news articles of people trying to pull on a much grander scale, of course, but the exact same scam that Kramer tried pulling on the U.S. Postal Service, like but people doing it in the like hundreds of thousands half a million dollars worth of mail fraud like mailing packages all over the country taking out insurance on them and then making these fraudulent claims on them um but as far as i could tell whether it's four hundred dollars or four hundred thousand dollars mail fraud convictions carry a sentence of up to 20 years in prison fines up yeah fines up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars plus probation and restitution so paying back what you defrauded uh, the government and, uh, yeah, it could be, uh, you know, a prison sentence. Now, first offense up to, you know, not, no more than $400, which is what Jerry was looking at. I don't, maybe it would be a small fine, as Newman said, but he, he you know, he's up for that 
full prison sentence of up to 20 years. Jesus. As far as I could tell. Yeah. Yeah. There was no misdemeanor mail fraud. You know, I think it's all federal because it's going through the Postal Service. Oh, but also I found this weird um, little tidbit. I guess you could count uh, count this under a a goof of some sort. But Jerry files the claim with the Postal Service for the stereo. But there are a lot of errors. First of all, the parcel has no return address and the unknown sender would have insured it. So Kramer would have have to have taken out the policy on it. And the only way the sender can file a claim is if they paid for the insurance, not the recipient. So I don't think that's what happened hmm. since Kramer sent the thing. Yeah. So kind of a little bit of an, an error there, but I didn't, you know, nobody knows enough about mail fraud to go, hey, except whoever wrote this on IMDb. <laughs> hey, wait a second. <laughs> Plot twist. This is this is a mail carrier writing this on IMDb. Definitely, yeah, definitely Newman IRL. Like, what? They got this all wrong. <laughs> uh, here's some other trivia and tidbits from the package episode. That was, in fact, and thanks to people who tweeted at us as well, that was, in fact, Phil Hartman, who makes an uncredited voice appearance in the episode as the guy from the American Medical Association <laughs> who wakes up Elaine to confirm the spelling of her surname. Yes. Oh, yeah. my God. You can't slip Phil Hartman's voice past me. I was like, man, it really, really sounded like him. And it, it definitely was. <laughs> Uh, the farmer appearing in the final scene as an extra was Seinfeld writer David Mandel, the guy oh, holding okay. the pig. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a scene showing how, because this is a bit of a plot hole too. So a scene showing how Newman acquired George's photos was filmed, but cut before broadcast. It's weird that because Jerry's picture was on an earlier role, that Newman got Jerry's picture and George's picture at the same time. Like really, he shouldn't have been able to get Jerry's picture. He could have seen, because George was developing that, that role that Kramer took on his camera, not the role that George mm-hmm. took on his camera. You know what I mean? Oh my God. Yeah. This, this just comes into what we were saying last week where it's just too convenient. Yes. Yeah. And just, just a weird plot hole of like, like he, he walked by right at there, that moment and saw the picture right at that moment. And yeah, yeah. like there's, there's, I can argue against like picking apart things that don't need picked apart because you're just trying to find something wrong yes. with it. But then there's the episode we talked about last week where it's the exact opposite. Yeah. It just kind of like or, lazy. Like no- yeah. Like nothing yeah. makes sense, but they're just trying to pass it off as like, oh, well, yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah. It, it, it's a weird thing. But I guess I don't know if that deleted scene would have shed any light on why he got George's photo, you know, what, where the difference is between the two rolls of film and how he ended up with both. But yeah, I, I don't know. But it was cut before broadcast. They, they, in the end, they were probably like, you know what? This just explains a random plot hole that nobody's going to care about until podcasting <laughs> is invented. So let's not worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> Episodes oh too God. long. And then the guy was like, what's podcasting? Like, oh, uh, don't worry about it. Uh, forget, I, forget I said that. <laughs> Elaine gives her middle name in the package as Marie, but in episode two of season six, The Big Salad, Elaine says her middle name is Ike, which I don't remember, but I thought it was worth pointing out. That sounds like a joke that she said her middle name was Ike, but but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't remember that at all. Yeah. Okay. Elaine is also Yeah, I know. <laughs> Elaine is also told she shouldn't be looking at her medical chart and has to resort to sneaking her medical records out of her doctor's office, which gets her into trouble, but Someone look this up. New York state law requires that all healthcare practitioners and facilities grant patients access to their own medical records upon request. She is also surprised to see her records show up unexpectedly at her new doctor's office, which it didn't occur to me, but I think I get a call or a notification like this anytime. It, it would be illegal for her medical professionals to exchange information without her consent. You know, like when you go to a new doctor mm. and you have to fill out all that paperwork, like part of that is saying that. Yeah. 
you can call my old, here's my old doctor and you have permission to get my uh, medical. And that's not even New York. You know, that's, you know, that's anywhere. I think I've, I've been to a new doctor. So I guess I, I didn't yeah, consider that, yeah. that she could have just like not filled out that form and gone like, oh, no, uh, no old info. You don't you don't get any of that. <laughs> but maybe like all oh, the rest of us, she just didn't read that form. And oh, this episode, say goodbye because this episode contains the final mention of Jerry's never seen cousin, Jeffrey, Uncle, Le- Uncle Leo's son, Jeffrey, who works for the part department, really? will never be mentioned again. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I know. Oh, end of an too era. Soon. Yep. And we met Jeffrey like really early on. I want to say it's like the pony or something. You know, it's like one of those really yeah, early episodes. And he, and he was never on screen, not with any <laughs> no. of like even the funerals. No, never seen. Never seen. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. All right. So any other like news or anything? News well, do we want to talk a little bit about Sinfeld? Yes. We talked about this game. It's a, it's a Seinfeld-inspired video game, and we talked about it when some sort of, like, I don't know, proof-of-concept video or whatever was released of a weird horror version of Jerry's apartment and Kramer's apartment. And now the game is getting closer to release, I guess, and it, it's about a giant baby that's made by the Human Fund, <laughs> which is a reference that we haven't gotten to yet in, in our podcasting uh, episodes, but that's another Seinfeld reference. And you play as this giant baby, and there are Seinfeld references sprinkled in between, but it looks like, I don't know, it, uh, some of them are, it looks sort of inspired, I, I don't know how to explain it, because <laughs> I watched this thing and I was like, <laughs> this almost has nothing to do with Seinfeld now. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, the, the original trailer is uh, Jerry's nephew, Donathan. Yeah, yeah. Um, who, com- who, comes, who comes to New York for a weekend, but Jerry's not there. And I think, like, it's based on he has to try and find Jerry or something. Like, Jerry went missing. But uh, this, this new trailer that came out, I should say the name was changed from the Sinfeld Chronicles to... Uh, Sinfeld remastered. It looked. It looks great. I. Uh, it, it looks. Um. It, it looks better than any like indie title I've ever seen. Yeah. But I don't know. Like it, it looks like you're facing off against some of Seinfeld references in villain form. Like we we see monks at one point. We see uh, a glowing red neon sign of an episode that we have not gotten to yet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's like weird monsters too that I'm like, that's not a Seinfeld reference, is it? Like giant toothy monsters. And like every so often you'll see something like a Frogger machine, which again is another future reference for us. But yeah, it, it's, very, it's very confusing how it actually is Seinfeld oriented at this point but yeah i guess there's like a you're 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 this man baby that seems to escape have escaped from a lab and they're trying to capture you before you can wreak any more havoc i guess or or at least just like um (laughs) reveal yourself to the world that the human fund is making these weird man babies Uh, just based on con yeah just based on concept though i'm i'm definitely interested it sounds really cool yeah yeah it looks cool (laughs) but don't expect like a seinfeld point and click adventure game oh my god (laughs) i i'm i'm just picturing like did you ever play the uh the walking dead telltale game or did you ever like see anything of it i did yeah i saw i saw pictures of it i never played it though i'm expecting people to like think it's going to be that where you just point and click and choose the dialogue for your day with Jerry and George. <laughs> now, there was that. We did talk about that game that they wanted to make those mini game episodes or whatever. And they were just trying to wait for the licensing for the permission to like actually use the characters. I don't remember what that game was called, but um, they had like written all new episodes of Seinfeld for this you know, new sort of indie game. And it was more point and click adventure-y. But this, is, this doesn't look like that. <laughs> <sighs> 
man. Yeah. So it'll be very interesting to see as you know as we get closer to release of this and and maybe even some gameplay. I mean, I know the downvoter said he would be up for you know a gameplay review. So I'm, I'd be very curious to to see what this plays like. <laughs> Um, okay, so we we do have something. Uh, I, I it's not technically Newman's mail sack because uh, it's just kind of like a comment on a previous episode. So I oh. will just. I feel like I'm sounding like Tom DeLong there. I will just read it here. <laughs> um, I'll just read that here. Uh, Alex Hendrick uh, sent this to us on Twitter. Said I found something missing in your soup Nazi episode. Assuming you haven't touched on this since then, uh, I'm a little ways back trying to catch up. The soup Nazi has ties to Argentina since after the war. Lots of uh, ex enthusiastic German nationalists ended up there to escape trials and whatnot. Uh, I believe that is something that we did touch on um, in like the the weeks following the soup Nazi yes, episode. Yes, it was a it was a joke that totally went over our head why he why he yeah. <laughs> fled to Argentina and people were like, "You guys, the Nazis went to South America after." Well, I was like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah, totally flew over our heads." <laughs> yeah, I uh, like I said I I thought that we did mention it, but I just wanted to give a shout out to uh, Alex Hendrick for for listening through our back catalog. Yes. Um, do you have any other newsworthy bits or anything? I think that's it. Okay, if you have never listened to us before, we are not a research-heavy show, uh, despite the last, oh boy, Mm -hmm. 28 minutes being uh, almost exclusively research. Uh, We like to have our questions pop up naturally in the run of the episode and assign them to ourselves the week following as though we are giving ourselves homework. I have never seen these episodes before. Tim has never seen these episodes before in chronological order after being a lifelong fan for years. If we miss anything, if we egregiously skip over something, please send us an email or send us a tweet. It's at nohugging on Twitter or nohuggingnolearningshow at gmail.com. Both of those links are in the description or on the show description page on Apple Podcasts. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll send you a holographic, no-hugging, no-learning sticker while supplies last, like we did for Tim. You're going to get a kick out of this. Mm. He left us a review after talking about his show uh, last week, maybe two weeks ago. Uh, Mr. Joey Bag of Donuts left Uh. us a review. Five stars, (laughs) of course. Joseph Bagov Saying... Yeah, <laughs> I, I I couldn't remember like what we were calling him. It was like jo- jo- Joseph B- Joseph Bago B- bag B- bag of du- I I can't even remember now. Was it Bagovdinich or something? I, I think. Well, I, you originally would just say Joseph Bag O Donuts or something like that, and then I saw your your back and forth with him on Joe Twitter Bags. where you came up with Bagovdinuts, and I was like, oh, I love that Bagovdinuts. All right, that's what it is from now on. <laughs> Uh, He said, I'm loving every minute of it. This podcast is struggled. It is man-struggled. It lifts my spirit. It is loathsome, offensive, brute, yet I can't look away. It transcends time and space. It sickens me. I love it. (laughs) That's awesome. Oh, my gosh. I think we already did send him uh, some of the the OG stickers, but Ah. uh, Joseph Bogovdinich, Bogovdinuts, you are on our list for... Uh, the new stickers, oh, the uh, yeah. the Gen Two stickers. Once once we start sending those out, I think that's all I got. Uh, so anyway, season eight, episode six, the fatigues. Original air date October thirty first, nineteen ninety six. Halloween, two weeks after our last episode. So a uh, little little uh, early season break there. I'm guessing. 
Um, I was three years, 10 months and 11 days old at the time of airing. And if you're counting this episode and every other episode we've got left, Tim, we have 39 episodes until we become a, I don't know, pick your poison here. Hmm. Are there any other video games based on 90s sitcoms that we could review? (laughs) Could we become a full I I don't know. I I mean, I I I, I can search and see if there's like a platformer based on Frasier. I do know that. Oh man, and what's the address? It might not even be still up, but there was a and I and I've been watching this. Um, I, I started this from the beginning, and I, I I'm loving every minute of it. Um, Perfect Strangers. I do know somebody made a random Perfect Strangers game based on the theme song. Nothing's gonna and I think it was like Nothing's Gonna Stop Me Now dot com or something. And you were I think either Balky or cousin Larry or or both like, and you were flying and you had to kind of. It was one of those games where you're flying from behind the thing and you had to like catch i think anyway i I remember there was flying and the theme song is playing in the background and um yeah i know i do know there is a perfect strangers like web html game out there (laughs) maybe we can scrounge up (laughs) enough to do a full uh you know 90s sitcom video game and i'm sure like super nintendo had a bunch of awful titles i bet there's a lot of uh you know i bet there's like a um oh i know for a fact there's a uh who were the um I know there's like got to be a Mary Kate and Ashley video game out there. I think there's several, aren't there? Oh, there's got to be so many. Yeah, they're probably like PC ROM games too. <laughs> I think we've got something here. So we're we're gonna be a ni- a '90s only television and movie based game podcast review podcast. <laughs> wow, that is that's so niche. incredibly niche. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, if you are looking at TV Guide the night of Halloween 1996, you are going to see Jerry's new girlfriend has a mentor, semicolon, Elaine must fire a troubled employee. Huh. I don't hate it, but I really think we can make it better. Uh, We'll see if we can do it at the end. And we open with an exterior shot of a restaurant. And big shout out, I I was Googling them a ton this episode, big shout out to Maps About Nothing because there are a lot of new exterior locations in this episode and I really wanted information on all of them and a a lot of times I don't have to use them because there's an address or a name on the building but this time I was like, all right, what does that say? Because I couldn't read the awning (laughs) but Maps About Nothing says it was called Isabella's but that's not what the awnings say it really looked like a longer word that started with a b I I couldn't tell what it said though but the my only guess is that this b roll is from before Isabella's was open which is in 1987 which is not beyond the realm of possibility hmm it is not I mean we've seen uh clips where the b roll definitely looks like it's 15 years 20 years older than than the scene it's supposed to uh depict yeah, for so for this to be you know less than ten years old, the the B roll at this point, it, it's not beyond the realm of possibility because it really doesn't say Isabella's on the on the awning that I could tell. But they are the same windows of the building. It's an Upper West Side restaurant, uh, Mediterranean, and it did close in 2017 at mm. 359 Columbus Avenue. Then another Mediterranean restaurant called the Eighth Hill opened up, and then they closed August of last year, and now it is nothing. Uh. Yeah, yeah. Dang. So there's, there's, it looks like there's absolutely nothing there right now. So I would advise against another Mediterranean restaurant, but third time's a charm. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> because Isabella is, Isabella's was there from 1987 to 2017. So that is, that's a nice good that's run. That's a good run. Yeah. That's a good run. Yeah. That's a good run. That's 30 uh, years. Yeah. And Jerry's having dinner there with a date 
And she's talking about how her mentor told her to get into equities. I love Jerry's line here because she was like, well, you know, first I was dealing with these home mortgages, and but there was no growth there. And Jerry's like, I was just talking to my friend Kramer about that. He used to be with Brant Leland for a while. I love that he, I mean, that's almost, <laughs> I love that he dropped that. It's like almost a lie, but not really. He just wants to be involved in the he conversation. Was, he was with Brant Leland. <laughs> He, he never yeah, said yeah. working. He didn't say what he was doing. He was with them. <laughs> That's true. He was with them for a while. And he's like, well, you mentor. You mean your boss? And she's like, no, no, uh, Cynthia. You know, she's just a very successful businesswoman who has taken me under her wing. She's like, you don't, uh, you know, have anyone to, to guide you in your career. And then Jerry goes, I've always liked Gabe Kaplan, um, which I guess was, I don't <laughs> Gabe Cap, I was like, wait a second. Who is that? And I was like, wait a minute. That's Welcome Back Cotter. That's the guy from Welcome Back Cotter. I don't even have to look him up. Oh, boy. Yeah. I had no I guess... idea. I had no idea who it was. <laughs> and I am I was surprised to learn that Gabe Kaplan is still alive, and he's only 76. That means, like, when Welcome Back Cotter was on, he was in his, I don't know, 30s or something. He was, like, a lot younger than they made him look <laughs> in that show. Um, and I guess after acting and, and being, and he was a stand-up for a while, he started playing poker, like, professionally. Huh. Yeah. So, really? I mean, he, he did have cool. a really... He did have an interesting and relatively successful career, so it, it's kind of funny, but also, like, again, an old-ass reference that, like, why would you be making that to a woman you're trying to impress? Like, women love the <laughs> Gabe Kaplan references, even in the mid-90s. I don't know. Yeah, it just, it just seems like weird flirting. Well, I have always liked Gabe Kaplan. Hold for applause <laughs> and laughter. Um, and, okay. <laughs> Uh, then we cut to Jerry's apartment where Jerry is explaining to George the whole mentor-protege situation that uh, Abby is in. We just found out her name is Abby. And George is trying to find a justification for the relationship. He's like, so no money changes hands. Can you get him to do stuff for you? Like, p- pick up your dry cleaning? <laughs> like, George has to find, like, some reason to, like, impart any sort like any why anybody would be nice to somebody if there's nothing in it for them. <laughs> Uh, and George has to read this giant risk management textbook that, textbook that he has because Steinbrenner wants everyone in the front office to give a talk in their area of expertise. And Jerry's go, like, why do they think you're an expert in risk management? He's like, ah, it's on my resume, I guess. And he like kind of waves it off. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and he can't make it through even a page of this book because he's like, books on tape have ruined me. And he's like, I can't read this book. This book is in my voice. I like to hear it in a, in a nice, soothing voice on, a, on tape. This is on my voice, and I hate my voice. Uh, and Elaine calls Jerry and asks about this Bob Sacamano party that was actually three days ago. And it was a great time. And she didn't get the invitation, even though the invitation is postmarked like three weeks ago, just ended up on her desk. So she calls the secretary and asks for the head of the mailroom to have him come up because she is going to fire him. And Jerry asks to be put on hold while she wields this power. And she instead just, she's like, oh yeah, sure. And then just hangs up on him, which is always funny, a funny (laughs) gag. And and in the meantime, while Jerry's been on the phone, George has dozed off with the risk management book on his uh, chest. Back at Elaine's office, the guy from the mailroom comes up, and his name is Eddie Sherman, and he's in full fatigues from the combat boots all the way up to the camouflage uh, sort of like jacket with the arms cut off of it. And I noticed this makes sense later, but I was like, his name tag says Yount and not Sherman, which I thought was a continuity error, but it, it doesn't end up being so. Oh, okay. See, I noticed that, but I didn't catch how it uh, how it made sense. Maybe... Uh, just explain that when we get to it. Yeah, yeah, I will. 
because uh, I thought it was weird. Elaine, did it? It seemed like Elaine called him ED here. Did you notice that? ED. <laughs> like yeah, she she says erectile Eddie. dysfunction. <laughs> yeah, she says Eddie in a really weird way. She's like ED. I was like, did she call him E.D. or E.D.? I'm like, what in the... But I was like, whatever, I guess. She chickens out when she sees what a weird, imposing figure this guy is. And she, instead of firing him, promotes him. And at Monk's, she's telling Jerry that she has promoted him to copywriter. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) And Kramer comes in with flyers for a Jewish singles night that he's running while his friend Lomez is in the Everglades. (laughs) Which is a funny, like, Kramer friend backstory. I love when he throws... Most of the time, it's about Bob Sacamano. My friend Bob Sacamano did this and that. But this time, it's like, Mm -hmm. Lomez. The Everglades is such a specific place to be. It's like, oh, no, he's not just in Florida. He's in the giant swamp of Florida known as the Everglades. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, back on on the Kramer friend uh, references, this is the second episode in a row where it's been he did something for Lomez. It is? What did he do last episode? Or previously. Uh, he traded his stereo away for a couple of steaks. Oh, man. I totally missed that. Yeah. he, he gave, Kramer gave his stereo to Lomez for a couple of steaks. Man, I didn't even notice that. That's crazy. Well, yeah. Now now he's, uh, you know, now he's in the Everglades. <laughs> and Lomez, it, it is funny, like, a guy named Lomez. And even Jerry's like, Lomez is Jewish? <laughs> uh, and... It's at the Knights of. It's going to be at the Knights of Columbus, which Frank uh, Costanza got Kramer a good room rate there, and uh, he wants Jerry and Elaine to be there. There's going to be good food, and he asks Elaine if she likes simas. Is that what he said? I couldn't understand him. I don't know what he said here. Uh, the only thing I have uh, still written down from this scene is uh, what was written on the flyer or the invite that says attempting schmear of authentic Jewish delicacies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's how they know there's going to be food there. And that's when he asks Elaine, do you like Simmas? You like Simmas? I'm going to write down Simmas and see what that is, but I'm going to put Jewish food okay. next to it. Cause I'm, I'm pretty sure I misheard what exactly he said there. <laughs> we cut to the symphony cafe, which I think we've been to before. It was at two thirty eight West 56th street. It closed in 95 and it is now Fuji Sushi hmm. uh, is at that location. But I'm pretty sure Symphony Cafe we've been to before. I, I, but I feel like we saw it from a different angle. I don't know. But Jerry is there with Abby. And she hears the duck is amazing. And Jerry says he's not a fan of duck because the skin seems human. Which makes me wonder if Jerry <laughs> has cooked human before. <laughs> You've got a good point. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not eaten it, but at least cooked it in some way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It just seemed like a weird thing to say about why you wouldn't like duck. But I I think I've said before, because I think it's come up before on the show for some reason, that I love duck. Oh, my gosh. If that's on the menu somewhere, that's what I'm getting. And I have cooked and, and eaten human, and it's exactly the same. Uh, oh, okay. Good. Yeah. Good, good. yeah. Uh, and Cynthia is there. Uh, Abby's mentor is there with her boyfriend, who just happens to be Kenny Banya. Oh, God. <laughs> And I love that Kenny Banya is oblivious to the way Jerry actually feels about him, which Jerry doesn't try to hide, but I think it's just a great way to go through life. Like, not caring. Like, Banya literally doesn't care what anybody thinks about him. Like, he's a stand-up comic, even though he sucks. Mm -hmm. He just just doesn't, I mean, it doesn't take any bad, he just pushes out the bad and seems like only retains the good. I think there's some great philosophy in there. I I did like how he comes in and uh, 
after Jerry had like just gotten done saying that he's he's not sure about the duck and it having human skin, Bandit just like the duck is the best, Jerry, <laughs> the best, the best. <laughs> Which is what he also said about whatever restaurant they went to. Like I forget what fish it was, but he's like, oh, Jerry, you gotta get this. It's the best. <laughs> <laughs> when he kept going out and like ordering soup and, and not being hungry and stuff like that. <laughs> we cut to the subway where George sees a blind guy listening to a textbook on tape and he asks him where he got it. The guy says he got it from Reading for the Blind where you can get any book on tape uh, as a service of this uh, organization. And I think this organization has been referenced before when... Oh, in the Scofflaw, I want to say, because I think when... I think like they make up the fact that the Kramer reads for this charity or Newman reads for the charity. No, wait, that's the lighthouse, isn't it? But I think it was the oh, same kind yeah, of thing. You're right. I think it was the same kind of thing though. It had to do with the blind. And I, I loved this callback to the earlier scene where George says something about, he's like, Oh man, I love those books on tape. And the guy's like, Oh, tell me about it. These things have ruined me for Braille. I thought that was such a fun, and the guy <laughs> delivered it in such a funny way. And it was exactly the way that George said earlier, like these, you know, books on tape have ruined me for reading. And I just love the way they yeah, ruined me yeah. for Braille. It was so funny. Just such a funny line. <laughs> Back up in Jerry's apartment. This is where I first noticed that Superman is still on the bookshelf and the fridge as we continue through season eight. George is planning to flunk an eye test just so he can go to reading for the blind to get the risk management textbook on tape. <laughs> then Jerry tells George that her Abby's mentor is dating Kenny Banya, and he asks the question, how can Abby look up to a person who voluntarily spends time with Banya? <laughs> Meanwhile, George leaving the apartment at the same time as his dad. I love them meeting in the hallway. George especially like not expecting his world to collide in this way, to reference an earlier episode you know like this was worlds colliding family george and independent george like what is my dad doing coming out of kramer's apartment and uh they were talking about the knights of columbus deal and uh, i guess give, giving him the check for the room or something like that and but jerry asked how kramer's going to cater it and frank freaks out when he's asked about cooking and as a now he's left at this point and george explains that his dad was a cook during the korean war and something happened and you can't get him close to a kitchen or any anything resembling cooking ever since. And this line was funny, too. Kramer goes, shell-shocked. And George goes, oh, yeah. But that has nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> Over at Jay Peterman, the copywriter meeting is wrapping up. But Eddie, the new copywriter, wants to read his... Uh, and Elaine's like, oh, you know what? It's it's your first day. You don't have to do anything. He's like, no, I've, I've written something. And, and it, it's all about... It starts innocently enough, but it's like... It, then it goes it, immediately. It starts well. It starts really well. Yeah, just like any other Jay Peterman entry, but it's, then he's like, you think about your knife, your only friend. The, the only friend who hasn't betrayed you yet. Sleep tight in your quilted chambray nightshirt. Yeah, your only friend who won't betray you, your only friend who won't be dead by sunup. That's what it was, yeah. yeah. Sleep well, mates, yeah. Sleep well, mates, in your quilted chambray nightshirts. Yeah, and it, it. and it freaks everybody out. Uh, <laughs> over at Monk's, Jerry suggests jokingly that Elaine should promote this guy again. And Elaine's like, you're exactly right. I'll, I'll give him his own office and, and I'll just promote him to a different floor and I'll never have to deal with him again. Even though Jerry was completely joking, Elaine does see it as her way out of this. We cut to the Strang Clinic, which was at 320 East 15th Street. And it's now it now looks like a, just a complete completely an apartment building i don't think there's any medical mm. office on the lower level anymore 
George is there getting his eye exam and he is bombing it. And as he, the guy's like, all right, well, just sign these insurance forms. Uh, you know, you can't see it all. And instead of grabbing the pen, George acting blind grabs the guy's face. And then as he does grab the pen, he's like, you're a very handsome man, by the way. And grabs the pen and signs directly on the line where he's supposed to sign. So, yeah. <laughs> but I did like, you're a very handsome man. <laughs> that was some quick thinking on George's part. I'm like, oh, that's what that's what a blind that's what I've seen blind people do in movies, you know, <laughs> is what I bet he was thinking. Because if I had to act blind, I was just like, I would, I probably wouldn't do it the way an actual blind person does. I'd be like, well, here's what I've seen in movies and TV. So, I'm just hoping that's right. I'm hoping Al Pacino did it right instead of a woman, because that's what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> they all yell hooah right all the time. Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> that's all. Uh, up in Jerry's apartment, Kramer is cooking Jewish food in three different apartments, but he doesn't list his own. He's like, I got three kitchens no. going, and wh- his is not he, one of them. <laughs> he says he's got uh, brisket going at Newman's, uh, something else at Mrs. Zanfino's, and he's cooking creplash. Creplash. Creplash? Yeah. Creplash? I don't know. Some some Yiddish Something like word, that. I think it is. Yeah. We might do a whole jo- uh, Jewish but- food rundown in, of this episode next, uh, just a, a deep dive on Jewish oh, food next week. <laughs> uh, but that's being cooked at Jerry's. Yeah, and I like that, you know, he's like, hey, try some of it. And he immediately turns into, like, the stereotypical Jewish grandma where Jerry's like, oh, I'm not hungry. And then he's like, eat, eat, your skin and bones. <laughs> 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 and Jerry tastes it, and it tastes awful. And... Kramer was like, well, I, it was a recipe for four to six, and I had to multiply it for 183, and I guess I messed up or something like that, <laughs> which would be it. nuts to multiply. I mean, that's that's a funny concept, too. Like, all right, uh, you know, four to six people divided by 183, then I just I just multiply everything by that, right? <laughs> And, and and Kramer's freaking out about now, how is he actually going to cater this? Because he, so he's like, I have to talk to Frank. I, I loved all of his acting here during his freak out when he's like, it's got no flavor. He shakes the bowl and, and all the creplock goes everywhere. And then he references, to, Jerry's like, and what is that? Does it taste like dirt? And Kramer's like, oh yeah, I dropped it on the way over here. <laughs> uh Abby drops by and Jerry tells her that Cynthia is dating a hack and he's not going to go see Banya with the, they want to do a double date and then go see Banya's act. And he's like, no, I'm not doing that. She's dating a hack. And, and Abby's like, my, you know, my mentor wouldn't make a decision like that. I think this is where Jerry tells Abby, he's like, he's got a 12 minute bit on Ovaltine. (laughs) Yeah. 12 minutes on Ovaltine. He thinks it's anything that dissolves in milk is funny. Is that what he says here? Yeah. Yeah. He, or actually, I think, um, I don't know if he says that here or if it's after Abby sees his act. I think here yeah. is just the 12 minute bit on Ovaltine. Yeah. That, that is such a funny thing to be. I wonder if he's got a post him bit too. Cause evidently he does a whole, he does a whole string on, <laughs> on stuff that dissolves in milk. Over Back over at Jay Peterman, Elaine tells the copywriters that Eddie will not be joining him. And they're all relieved until they hear that he is now director of corporate development. And Lin-Manuel Miranda gets very angry. <laughs> and they all quit. All the copywriters quit. And, they, and, and uh, he tells her specifically, you and your protege can run this magazine on your own. There was some weird... Do you pick up on the weird ADR in this moment? I didn't know. So Lin-Manuel says... <laughs> Until this oh guy gets God. a name, until he gets a name, I'm just calling what? him Lin-Manuel. Th- this is the reason we're going to get canceled. 
Uh, if a guy looks like a guy, I can call him that guy. If he, if it was just like, uh, you know, a, a, a Hispanic guy who did Broadway that didn't look anything like Lin Manuel Miranda, I would agree with you. Um, but this guy is a spinning image. But so the ADR is like, you know, so so he says I quit, and then there's like two women, maybe three, that go, I'm with him. Me too. Let's go. But in the scene, it's oh two my God. men and one woman. And I think in addition to, I think it's like three guys total and there's only one woman, but there's definitely like three distinct female voices that are like, maybe one of the guys has like a, a very female voice, but it's like, I'm with him. Me too. Let's go. <laughs> like, wait wow, a second. I didn't catch that at all. <laughs> yeah. It's really bad. Oh my God. <laughs> uh over at Yankee Stadium, George finally has his book on tape from uh, reading for the blind, and this was uh, this was hilarious. The guy on the tape sounds exactly like George, which completely defeats the purpose. <laughs> it's amazing how quickly they work too, because you know this textbook was not on tape. Like, so somebody had to sit there and yeah. read it, and he's got like one of those giant binders, like when books on tape were actually on tape and not like MP3s or on Audible or yeah. or even CDs. Like, even when books were on CD, you'd get like six CDs, but when they were books on tape, you'd get like twelve tapes. Yeah, see, I I thought this was so good. Like, as soon as the guy <laughs> starts reading, I'm like, I, I was laughing so hard. I'm like, of course. Of course, the guy sounds just like George, but do, do we think that Jason Alexander is the one who did the voiceover for this? Just putting on it's, a little more of a nasally voice? It's got to be. It was too close. That's my guess. Yeah. It was Jason Alexander, like either holding his nose or just like, or just talking through his nose. Like, <laughs> well, welcome to Fundamentals of Risk Management. <laughs> yeah, it was so funny. Uh, his exact voice twin. <laughs> uh, over at Frank's, Kramer has showed up to try to talk Frank into cooking, and he's like, but asking him like what happened. And Frank tells the story uh, through flashback uh, back from back in 1950. He was slinging hash for the Fighting 103rd. <laughs> um, I'm actually going to write that down. I wonder if that's historically correct. The Fighting 103rd, if there was any sort of actual battalion or whatever that designates. Uh, in the Korean War, the Fighting 103rd. And he cooked, they got three-week-old steaks that he was like, no, I can make this work. Uh, I'm the best chef, you know, that that's in the army. And he blames it on over-seasoning. But the fact that the steak had not been refrigerated in three weeks <laughs> is somehow lost on him. Yeah, I, I, think that, I think that may have something to do with it. Yeah, and so we get this, like, you know, war-type flashback. But instead of, like, people dying... They're like just throwing up into their hats and stuff like that. And and even still, Frank is like, I sent 16 of my men to the latrine that night. Was this an homage to something? Was this a reference? Just like the way that the scene was shot and Frank sitting down in his chair and, and taking the, the single shot of Hennigan's? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if it was a specific reference. To me, it just played like a stereotypical wartime flashback where somebody would tell a story this way in a movie. Okay. You know, like I, like Airplane, they do this that this sort of flashback joke as well so it must have been like kind of a trope that they were making fun of you know a, a, a movies of this type but it might, it might be specific I'll, I'll i'll probably uh stumble across that when i i'll write down homage uh as well to, to figure out if it is like specifically based on you know one scene from a movie but yeah to me it just kind of played like one of those like ah oh, you know flashback all right here's my Here's my tale. Here's my sad tale. I got to say that I like that the extent of the attempt that they made 
Frank to look 40 years younger was put him in a floppy hat. They did nothing oh else God. to Jerry they Stiller besides. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's around all of these like young military guys who were probably who were supposed to be like, I don't know, anywhere from like 20 to 30 years old. And you've got Jerry Stiller. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I don't know if Frank Costanza is supposed to be in his, let's say, 70s, I, I guess, or late 60s. Like he must have been in his mid 20s or, you know, to mid 30s <laughs> in this scene. And all they did was put a floppy hat on him, <laughs> like a floppy ear hat. That's the, like, oh, that's good enough. He looks young. Like, what? <laughs> no, he doesn't. He still looks like Jerry Stiller today. <laughs> Uh, uh, up in Jerry's apartment, Abby uh, is suffering the aftermath. She has PTSD herself from sitting through Banya's act. She agrees that he sucks. And in fact, it, it caused an argument. I think this is where she mentioned, like, he got two minutes into that Ovaltine bit and I couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think and, this and, might be what this Jerry is. Said. This, yep. Yeah. As he says, he just thinks that anything that dissolves in milk is funny. And I think, because I think she mentions like a couple of other things before Ovaltine. And like by the time he got two minutes into the Ovaltine bit, um, he's got a Nestle Quick bit. Yeah. He's yeah. got a Bosco bit. <laughs> yeah. And then by the time he right. gets to the Ovaltine bit, it's just, oh, come on. Yeah. So it caused a big argument with Cynthia. And so no more mentor. But she's also breaking up with Jerry. She needs to take a break with Jerry. And, and he's like, this was very, this was kind of off putting that Jerry's like, I can be your mentor. I can tell you what to do. I can tell you what to think. I'm like, ah. And then and then here's where it takes a turn. She's yeah. like, I need someone I can trust. And he goes, oh. I'm like, well, what were you going to tell her to do and think if she can't trust He's, uh, you? <laughs> Jerry's uh, pulling out his best Rush Limbaugh impression here. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, what did you want to tell her to do and think that she couldn't trust you? to do correctly i'm like i don't you know yeah. what i don't know i don't know uh, i think uh i think uh the less time spent on uh yeah. deep diving this probably the better yeah yeah we're not gonna go down a good road <laughs> assuming what jerry would do and if he had a woman completely <laughs> under his control but obviously it's his fantasy uh george comes in and jerry is like you know in the middle of breaking up with abby essentially he's like uh, george we're kind of in the middle of something, and George goes like, oh, walks in between them and just sits down on the couch and waits for them to be finished. Um, <laughs> and, and Abby's like, uh, you know, I got to get going anyway. And and George hears Abby's situation about the men, you know, not having a mentor anymore, and uh, he runs after her. Meanwhile, back at Jay Peterman, Elaine and Eddie are still copywriting, trying to put together uh, this catalog without any help from anyone else. And Eddie has written a new uh, bit of copy, and it's about a boot kicking in a skull. <laughs> oh, my and God. I, I love that Elaine's like, what about instead of kicking in a skull, <laughs> how about you put in Dewey Meadow, <laughs> replace it with Dewey we, Meadow. We, we go uh, strolling through a Dewey <laughs> Meadow. Yeah. <laughs> Um, now we got at this something. point, uh, at this point, Grace is uh, kind of watching the episode with me as she's uh, getting ready for uh, getting ready for her mom to come over, and she takes one look at Eddie and she says, "Hey, he's from Twilight. That's Butt Crack Santa." What? Yes, I Butt never... Crack Santa. <laughs> you have to explain this to me. I've never seen Twilight. There's like a clip, I think, in the beginning of Twilight where Bella, played by Kristen Stewart, uh, she's going to the city where her dad lives 
and this is the city that she she grew up in. It's like Pacific Northwest, like middle of nowhere, so everybody knows everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Well, this uh, this guy comes up to them in the diner, and lo and behold, it's Eddie. But uh, he's like, "Hey, Bella, do you remember me?" Like same voice too. Like this is his <laughs> voice, I think. Wow. But she says something to the effect of like, yeah, all the kids and I used to call you Buttcrack Santa because he was Santa at the mall. But I guess his pants were very loose. <laughs> Why? I don't, does... I don't fucking know, dude. Yeah, that, that makes I mean, that's kind of what I suspected the origin story of someone named Buttcrack Santa would be. But you never know. You never know. <laughs> I had to be sure. Um <laughs> Does d- does the scene go on after that? Do you know? Because I would just like to know why he wanted to talk to you know a high school girl at that at that moment. <laughs> I I don't think it goes on uh, oh, with him in the scene. At least I think it's just like a like a reconnecting bit. She was oh, with okay. her dad in the diner. I'm pretty sure it oh, wasn't. Gotcha. Uh, it, uh, it wasn't just uh, butt crack Santa coming up and talking to the 17 year old girl. Thank goodness, because I'd be like, call the call the <laughs> vampires. We need vampires now. <laughs> Eliminate butt crack for what it's butt crack Santa. For what it's worth, I think the vampires do kill butt crack Santa. Whoa! Wow, I'm learning so much about Twilight. Twilight. <laughs> I'm learning so much about Twilight. Uh, so over at Frank's, Frank is eating breakfast, and Estelle has been cooking, and he has had it. He calls her omelet. <laughs> he doesn't like the omelet that she's cooked, and he unloads on all of Estelle's cooking. And she's like, well, it's too bad that I'm the only one that cooks around here. And he's like, not anymore. And he starts uh, cooking eggs. And he says, I'm back, baby. Yeah, after he cracks one egg. <laughs> yeah. Like, th- that was the thing that pushed him over his fear, was just cracking a single egg into a pan. And I like that the makers of this episode said that only expert chefs can crack an egg with one hand and open it into a pan. Like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get that right on the first time, but the, at the by the end of a dozen, I think I'd be an expert at it. <laughs> but that's like like they had to zoom in, like they did the whole thing where you zoom in. They zoomed in on the pan, and it was obviously someone else's hands. And then they zoom out, and he's holding the eggshells. You know, <laughs> so it must be difficult enough that they didn't want to teach Jerry Stiller to do it. But they were like, oh, how do we show that he's a you know a michelin star level chef oh he can crack an egg with one hand and open it into a pan yes we did it (laughs) (laughs) that's the only expert chefs can do that over at yankee stadium george is taking on abby as a protege for some reason she seems to be into it i know he works for the yankees but that seems to be like at least cynthia it seemed like from her story was also in stocks or whatever she does you know yeah so it's weird that, like, the like, undersecretary to the travel secretary, she'd go like, yeah, this guy. <laughs> yeah, like, did she also quit her job when she when she dissolved her relationship with Cynthia, Cynthia broke up with Jerry? Did she also quit whatever she was doing? Oh, I didn't get that impression, What? Um, but maybe. What made you think that? Because, uh, I mean, Cynthia's the one who told her to get into equities, like... Why is she mm-hmm. spending time at Yankee Stadium learning about risk management? Yeah. Uh, Wouldn't I don't, she still I mean, have a job to go to? I would imagine, but I don't know where Cynthia worked because I didn't get the impression that Cynthia was worked at her place of business either, you know? Mm, true. So, okay. yeah, I don't – maybe she just, like, etched out time for this meeting. I, I don't know. But it would it would make sense That's to, true. like – any decision Cynthia has made for her, she has to question now, you know? Like, she has to just start mm. from scratch, you know? So it, it – yeah. It, it would make sense. Did you see George's Godzilla toy in the background? No, on, I didn't see on that. his shelf. 
This thing looked awesome. I want to try and find it. It, it looks like a very old school Godzilla statue, toy, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I don't know how to search for this specific one. Yeah. I'm sure tons of those were made. And if and I bet they're super expensive now. <laughs> probably. But also probably <laughs> not. Yeah, you never know if they made tons of them. But maybe you want to wait till uh you know the the new movie is on until Godzilla versus Kong fever has died down because you know people might be <laughs> out there trying to collect. And, and so George tells uh, Abby to read the risk management book and explain it to him. She's like, "Oh, well, that's something I'm not too familiar with," which is weird like someone who's in working in stocks doesn't understand risk management. It's like, well, how is that? That's all risk management. What are you talking about? <laughs> you were working in stocks and you have no, in, you know, you don't know any, you can't say one thing about risk management. You didn't even take risk management 101. Like maybe you weren't a good stockbroker, but, uh, but I like that George plays himself off as an expert. She's like, could you explain it to me? He was like, I'll tell you what, why don't you read this book? And then you explain it to me. <laughs> uh, and obviously write a report on it. Uh, is, is what you know he wants her to do. We find out later on. Out on the street, Jerry runs into Banya, and he is down in the dumps. He got dumped by Cynthia after, and he kind of knows uh, that it's. He's like, yeah, she saw my act and then dumped me. <laughs> like he just knows it's because of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she saw my act. Like that's the reason he got dumped. Uh, is what he's implying. And he asked Jerry. Oh, this is yeah. This is where the the other things that dissolve in milk come up yeah, jerry yeah, is the right. one who tells ba- uh, banya he's like you've got your bosco bit your nestle quick bit by the time you get to the oval teen and then banya like cuts him off yeah and he asked jerry to hey could you give me a hand with my material and then jerry like kind of you know ponders it for a second over at kramer's frank knocks on kramer's door and you know basically says he will cook for him and i like that he's like do you have t-fall he's like uh, no i got teflon he's like follow me it seems like he's not down with the teflon he only likes <laughs> T-fall. I don't know what the difference is, but obviously an expert cook would know. (laughs) Back in Jerry's apartment, Jerry is writing some bits for Banya, and we get a classic Seinfeld moment here in many ways. You know, it's like, why do they call it Ovaltine? So he's sticking with the Ovaltine theme. Why do they call it Ovaltine? The mug is round. The jar is round. They should call it round team. (laughs) And this is where Banya Uh... says, that's gold, Jerry. Gold. Which is a favorite of, of favorite quote of, of Seinfeld fans the world over. Oh, my God. I know. This is just another catchphrase that people yell at me whenever they hear that I do a Seinfeld podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely one that people have, uh, you know, a warm place in their hearts for. That's gold, Jerry. Gold. <laughs> I like the joke, too. I mean, the round teen joke is also part of you know Seinfeld favorite quotes like the mug is I like his delivery too where it's like unlocking for Banya the mug is round the jar is round they should call it round team <laughs> it's stupid and it's like stereotypical Seinfeld world wordplay but it, it is very funny as a bad joke back over at Jay Peterman Elaine and Eddie uh, are, are again working on some of Eddie's copywriting like replacing <laughs> hail of shrapnel and scar tissue with String of pearls and raspberry scones. <laughs> so it seems like Eddie is, I mean, Elaine is working with this. And he, like, like you said earlier, like the beginning of his copy is pretty good. And then it gets really dark. And Elaine's like, I can work with this. You know, I just love replacing hail of shrapnel with string of pearls and scar tissue with raspberry scones. Like, I want to know what I- copy what the copy would sound like in both instances. 
I do too. I want to know like what the rest of the description said. Yeah. <laughs> Over in Jerry's apartment, Jerry is talking to Abby and he can't believe that George is Abby's mentor. Abby tells Jerry he just doesn't respect the mentor-protege relationship. And Jerry tells her, as a matter of fact, he has a protege now. And he's like, I'm, I'm helping out Banya. And he takes the folder of jokes that he's been writing for Banya. And he throws it down on top of her risk management report. She says, well, I wouldn't respect a mentor whose protege is a hack. And he says, well, I wouldn't expect anybody whose mentor is a Costanza. Which was a pretty funny burn on, on George. That was really good, yeah. Over at Monk's. Elaine and Eddie are celebrating the catalog release, and they somehow, just the two of them, have put out a great catalog. And Elaine finally just has to ask him, what's with the fatigues and the dark, psychotic imagery? And this is where we find out that it wasn't the fact that he was in the military that he wears fatigues. It was all over a woman. Like, he was in love with a woman, and she left her, left him. And I was like, oh, boy, we got a real red pill men's rights uh, oh, incel boy. candidate here. I don't know where on the spectrum yeah, well, he lies, he, but... He, he says that he went on a couple of dates with this woman, and then things cooled off. And that's it. Yeah, and that's why he's a psycho who wears fatigues now. I'm like, oh, boy, like, what subreddits do... Are, do you, are you subscribed to? <laughs> uh, where does having the wrong name on his fatigues come in? I'm guessing they're not his fatigues. He just bought them from, like, Salvation Army or something, maybe? Yeah, or a military surplus store or something. Like he okay. just went to. Okay, okay. He got burned by one woman and just became his own militia. You know, oh, I was like, oh, he wasn't God. even in the military. He just like, just like all these cosplay cowboys, he went out and just bought a bunch of military shit <laughs> and is like pretending that he's in the military. <laughs> I've never heard the term cosplay cowboys before, <laughs> and it is great. Oh, yeah. Holy that, shit. That's the term. I don't even remember where I got it, but that's the term I, that I've adopted for any of these assholes that, like, you know, storm the Capitol, for instance. I'm like, yeah, I, like, just go play dress up somewhere. And yeah, so that that's what he is. Like, like I said, I don't know where he lands on the red pill incel spectrum, but it's somewhere, you know? Uh, and so that's why he's like, wears fatigues and it's all dark and psychotic. And he's like, it's tough meeting someone you like, let alone someone who's Jewish. And then a light bulb goes off on Elaine's <laughs> head. She's like, wait a second it all calls back to the uh, jewish singles night and so we cut to the knights of columbus building which is at 71st uh, i'm sorry 71 west 23rd street and it's not a knights of columbus building but it's similar it is actually the headquarters of as far as i could tell maybe all of the uh freemasons it's a masonic hall. whoa yeah oh my god the yeah. headquarters of the Freemasons? There's some creepy shit going on there. <laughs> yeah, I think it's weird that, like, it's not the Knights of Columbus. It's the Freemasons. I, I don't know whether it's actually... It's a headquarters of some sort. Either the headquarters for just New York, or I can't tell how big of a headquarters it is, but it, it, it does hold some actual Freemason <laughs> offices. And also, it's also got, you know, uh, some event halls, if you want. Yeah, it, yeah. it's got 15 event spaces. I, all I know is, like, I only know one Freemason personally. They listen to this podcast. I think uh -oh. you know who I am talking about. But yeah. they have confirmed that there are things that they cannot tell the public. Yeah, but but that's like in a in a Scientology way, right? Where I could probably find it on Wikipedia? Yeah, probably. 
I just love that. Like I always think about this, you know, at the same way where like, oh, you you can't know about this until you're OT four, which is like Tom Cruise isn't even there, <laughs> and it's like, but I'm reading it right now. I'm I know all about Xenu, and I didn't spend a dime. You know, <laughs> yeah. Why didn't yeah. you just do that? <laughs> so yeah, but I, I I do know there's a lot of weird rituals and and stuff regarding the the Freemasons, and yeah, and they they like you know they they like being members of a secret club you can't and having their rings and stuff like that i do think it's weird that you can get like freemates and stuff on your license plate you know yeah that is kind of weird like like do you want to be secret or not yeah yeah it's like they want to be just secret enough so that we know they're cool enough to get in but also keep it secret enough so that it is cool to be in you know it's a very fine line it's a very fine line when you're a member of a a secret club or a uh, made-up religion like in the case of scientology like part of me wants to know what what are they hiding? What what yeah. is what is going on in there? But I don't know. I maybe maybe whenever I get to be like I don't know, 45, 50, I'll be like, "You know what? I'm going to join the Freemasons. Why not?" <laughs> but I mean, you, it's not that easy, right? Don't you have to like be a uh, a legacy or something? Like, how do you get in on or, that? Or I think you just have to know somebody who is in and they oh, can sponsor okay. you. Oh, it's like I the Friars anyway. Club. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think I'd rather be in the Friars Club. No offense to the Freemasons. I don't want them to assassinate me. Yeah, but it just seems like, you know, I, I I don't know. Anytime I wonder that, I'm like, I just think about looking it up on Wikipedia. I don't think about joining the organization. I'm like, oh, what's that What's that secret society all about? And then I'll just look it up and I'll go, oh, there you <laughs> go. That's great. Well, that's what they're all about. Yeah, that's okay, what they're cool. all about. I would, I, would, I would want to join the Freemasons if it was anything like National Treasure, but I have a feeling it's very little stealing <laughs> of historical documents and secret tunnels. And just a lot of, you know, they put me in charge of like, all right, it's your job to watch the Freemason Wikipedia page and delete any of our secrets immediately. Like, oh, that's fun. <laughs> Man, this sounds lame. But then I would I would be like, well, I, I still want to be like Nicolas Cage, so I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to delete the Wikipedia article about the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> it's done. Uh, where the hell were we? Oh, there's Knights of Columbus. That's right. We haven't even gotten inside yet. <laughs> we're still outside. Nope. <laughs> We're still outside the Knights of Columbus. <laughs> but inside the Knights of Columbus building, which is actually a Masonic Hall, Jerry and Elaine are eating the food, which is absolutely delicious. And Banya is there, too. He was like, oh, Jerry, I got to thank you for that risk management stuff you gave me. It's killing. I got a bunch <laughs> of corporate gigs. And even Cynthia took me back. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Again, what does Banya think is going on? Like, what reaction is he getting that he's like, this stuff is it can't be funny. You know, so what is he? I picture it like there was no humor written, was there, in the risk management report done yeah. by Abby? It, it can't have been, but I understand. I like the fact that it got him corporate gigs because somebody was in the audience. It's like this is a really good presentation on risk management. So Banya thinks he's getting these <laughs> like high-paying like corporate stand-up gigs, which are things that exist. But he's actually getting more like TED Talk gigs, you know. Like he, where he gives he's, an actual he's doing, talk on risk management. He's just doing risk management seminars, and he thinks yes. he's killing with his stand-up. Yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, it's not stand-up. It's seminars. I'm getting all these corporate gigs. Yeah, so his life is going great. Meanwhile, Cynthia is there as well, and she is talking to Eddie, who is, she finds out it went from the mailroom to uh, director of corporate development in two days, and she's like, how much are they paying you? I'll double it. So maybe... <laughs> Maybe what's her, maybe Abby was working for Cynthia because if she's offering this guy a job, you know, she's maybe looking for a protege, a, a new protege. And if she's offering 
hmm. a protege. You know, maybe maybe Abby was working for Cynthia. Maybe I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, well, I yeah I didn't either until I until we were talking about whether or not she was she quit her job or what. But um, yeah, now, she was very impressed with Eddie moving from mailroom to corporate development in in two days. And then we cut to Frank and Kramer, and Kramer says, "Oh, these latkes are going like hotcakes," which is the most dad joke that I think we've ever heard <laughs> on the show. <laughs> Because I don't know much about Jewish food, but I do know that latkes are literally potato pancakes. So the fact that the latkes are moving like hotcakes, I was like, oh, gee. Even even that's below you, Kramer. <laughs> and But I love Frank's next line, and I'm going to steal it anytime I have to use this phrase. But he, you know, he, he loves cooking again, and he says, I'm like a phoenix rising from Arizona. I'm like, that. that's also dad jokey, <sighs> but I'm like, that's... A turn of phrase that I had not heard before that I absolutely love, like a phoenix rising from Arizona. <laughs> oh my gosh! And, and it took me a second too. I think that's why I liked it so much. I was like, rising. I was like, oh my gosh, phoenix, Arizona. Uh, that now <laughs> is etched in my brain, and I'm going to steal it. <laughs> Eddie comes up to Elaine and quits because he got a much better job now. He he continues to fail upward, I guess. And Elaine. You know, he's all he's the last employee that Elaine has and she shakes him, uh, causing him to cough. And when Frank hears someone coughing on his food, he starts flashing back and has a bit of a PTSD moment uh, where he thinks people are getting sick again. And he starts running around, smacking all the plates out of everybody's hand, eventually flips the entire catering table. And that's where the episode ends. I want to say real quick, it, when you look at the wide shot of the Knights of Columbus, there are a lot of older couples at this Jewish singles night. <laughs> did you see that? I did not notice that. There's maybe like four or five single people standing up, but there's a lot of like couples sitting at tables. I guess Kramer just wanted butts in seats. You know, he didn't care if they were actually single or not. I mean, he knew <laughs> Jerry was dating somebody. <laughs> That's true. Invited, I mean, yeah. at the at, at at the time of uh, this actually happening, he wasn't. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Eventually, yeah, he, he is a Jewish single at this point. But but at, when he invited them, you know, Jerry was in, a, in <laughs> essentially in a relationship. Yeah, yeah. I did not notice the. Uh, it must have just been also tough to get extras. They were like, we just need extras as well. We just need a ton. Just I don't care how old they are. Yeah, maybe there's no age limit on the. You could be single at any age. You still want to get out there. We do get one more oh, scene. God. And this is at Yankee Stadium where George is getting up to give his talk on risk management. And he starts reading the Ovaltine bit that Jerry had written for (laughs) Banya, including stuff. I love that this appears to be written stuff like, you know what I'm talking about? Like George George says that as if he's reading it. (laughs) I love that that was written in there. Just just so confident, opens up the folder and just says, why do they call it Ovaltine? And his face immediately changes because he didn't read it before saying it out loud. <laughs> yeah. But it includes <sighs> stuff that's supposed to be impromptu. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? And so, like, you know what I'm talking about? And Wilhelm, uh, <laughs> Wilhelm looks over at whoever he's sitting next to and goes, he's my protege. And oh, that's boy. the end of the episode in total. All right. What do we got for homework this week? Uh, I just wrote down Simmas slash Jewish food. Uh, and also, okay. so we might just, you know, just delve into what uh, what all Kramer was serving and, and stuff like that, all the references. And the fighting 103rd and whether or not uh, Frank's flashback was a an homage to a specific uh, war movie or TV show or something like that. 
All right, what do you like for cover art this week? Oh, boy, that's a tough one. Tough one. I mean, something with Jerry and Banya on the couch might be good. Like him giving him the, the revised Ovaltine bit? Yeah. Okay. Or maybe even him, like you know, him delivering the That's Gold Jerry line. Oh, man, a cover art with only Banya in it? Yeah. Oh, boy. I know. That's, that's like something Hulu would do. <laughs> put, a, put a tertiary Actually, character. I think that might be, I think that might really? be the cover art on Hulu. <laughs> Maybe that's why I was thinking of it. I mean, it is like <laughs> the iconic moment of the episode, really. All right. I'll, I'll see what I can do with, uh, with one of those. Uh, let's see what we can do with the description. All right. So we had Jerry's new girlfriend has a mentor, semicolon. Elaine must fire a troubled employee. That does happen, and I like that they include both. But what I one thing I liked about this episode again, it's like like the previous five episodes of season eight. I've liked talking about it more than watching it. Like us talking about it has made me appreciate it a little bit more. But I was still like, man, this is once again, it's a good episode of Seinfeld, which is better than most episodes of any other TV show. But I'm like, I, I haven't starred an episode yet, and we're six episodes in. You know, I liked this one. You haven't you haven't starred any of them yet. No, no, nothing. Oh my god. Okay. Because they've all felt like Seinfeld. Nothing's been raised above the Seinfeld baseline for me yet. Okay. But here's what I did love about this episode is that in season eight, we are exploring, you know, like Kramer and Frank together, Elaine and this other guy. Like what I like about this episode is everybody has a mentor-protege relationship by the end. Frank and Kramer, George and Abby, Elaine and Eddie, and Jerry and Banya. I really liked that, how they tied everyone. They're like, oh, we're going to give this relationship to everybody. I really liked that. Mm -hmm. I feel like we haven't seen Seinfeld (laughs) do that. All, all the way up until this point, like let's make them all go through kind of the same thing separately. So I mean, yeah. I, I know I always fall back on the the always sunny, but I mean, like the gang get proteges or or whatever, which which is kind of incorrect too because Kramer becomes a protege of Frank. Eddie, be, like everyone else, gets a gets a protege. But I, I would love like Kramer, Elaine, George, and Jerry enter into mentor protege relationships. I know that's very long, but I like that way of describing it better than Jerry's girlfriend has a mentor and Elaine must fire a troubled employee, which she doesn't do. Yeah. No, she doesn't. Um, <laughs> she, she must fire, but she does not fire. Yeah. Um, I, I like that. I like that thought process because like around, I'm guessing around this time, this type of story device uh, wasn't done to death, but like any new show, any new sitcom and everyone is going through the same thing through like one episode i can't fucking do it it's so bad you know what i mean i guess i don't do you have any like specific instances that you're thinking of i've got one example and granted this is not from a new show this is from whenever i was in high school watching this show with my sister and my dad who was also just watching it because my sister wanted to watch it do you remember the show the Secret Life of the American Teenager. I remember the name. I never saw it though. <laughs> um, it's a it's a show about like a, this high school girl who gets pregnant and drama happens around it, right? Okay. Uh, well, there's this one episode. Can't tell you anything else that happened in the episode, but they had the super lazy plot device. This one episode. I have to reiterate. <laughs> four different people brought four different pizzas over to their partner's house to have a conversation with them. 
They had to show up with pizza. Why the fuck did they all show up with pizza, Tim? Why? I don't know. I uh, I can't explain why that. Why that I had to swear happen. I'm not heated about this. Still, <laughs> it's only been ten years. Yeah, I but don't. Whenever know I why. think of a lazy, an incredibly lazy plot device, my mind goes back to watching that episode of the Secret Life of the American Teenager and why everybody had to. Why pizza was such a central element to having a conversation, yes. having a difficult conversation. I, I I know I've gotten so far off of like what I was originally saying, but I I I, I had to I had to get that off my chest. Yeah, but I I can kind of understand what you're saying. Where it's like, all right, you know, we need we need an episode to kind of like throw a wrench in the formula. Let's just have like an adventure episode where everybody does go through the same thing. And and I can't think of any other specific instances either, but uh, tweet at us if you, if you can think of something similar to this, but I, but I would prefer that for the description. You know, that's, that's the bottom line is like, okay, how can we say that everybody goes through the same thing? So what was it again? Just uh, Jerry, George, Kramer and Elaine enter into mentor protege relationships. Yeah. I mean, I hate that. Okay. I came up with it. (laughs) (laughs) So can you think of a better oh, way to God. say that? I really can't. I, I really cannot. Um, Kramer is the only one that's really screwing it up, and, and, and we can't say he become Unless, is there a way that to look at it that, no, Kramer didn't become a mentor to Frank. Um, he just kind of got Frank off the... And, and I would even venture... I would even say that their mentor-protege relationship is... is That's a tenuous way to describe it, like, because that, like, Frank doesn't... Frank doesn't seemingly teach Kramer anything about cooking that we can see. I mean, maybe Kramer helped out, but we don't, you know, we never see it on screen. It, it seemed more like that Frank cooked everything. Yeah. You know, you, you, you could argue that, oh, yeah, I'm sure Kramer helped him out and learned some stuff. But whether or not, whether that's a mentor-protege relationship is, is not a great way to describe it. But because it works into the theme of the episode, I'm, I'm counting it. But um, I, I wish there was a better way to describe Jerry, George, Elaine, and Kramer. <laughs> but I mean, if if you're happy with that, without way of saying, saying it, the gang, yeah. yeah, the gang or the big four, the main characters. What about everybody? Can we just say everybody. <laughs> everybody. Enters everybody into... enters into a mentor protege relationship. Yeah. Why and not? People, honestly, people must know like, oh, they don't mean every single person on Earth in the universe. They probably just mean just in the name of shortening <laughs> it. Let's say everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just do it. Why not? Let's Who's going to stop us? Do do is this better? Did we make it better? I don't think we did. <laughs> I don't think we made it worse. I think there's an idea here, but anyway, I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so next week we've got season 8 episode 7 the the checks. Okay, the ch- I couldn't read my own writing. I I didn't know if I wrote the checks or the cheeks, <laughs> yeah. um, but the checks. Original air date November seventh, nineteen ninety six. And if you're looking at TV Guy that night, you are going to see Jerry receives bundles of small residual checks from his Japanese TV appearance. I'm sure this oh, won't no. be problematic <laughs> at all, right? We better watch this before Hulu deletes it. <laughs> oh boy. Or before uh, they might throw the Disney. These stereotypes were wrong then, and they're wrong now. <laughs> we want to, rather than removing it, <laughs> we'll have to put that in front oh of my our. God. We'll put that in front. Of, I'll tell you what. Put it in front of this episode. That way, the Lin Manuel stuff won't get us in trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Did you these, like this these depictions were wrong this past Monday, and they are wrong now. <laughs> they are wrong now. A week ago, and they're wrong now. Uh, did you like this episode? By the way, eh, I could take or leave it. Really. Yeah. 
that's that's the way I felt all season. But um, maybe it'll pick up. Maybe they'll hit their stride. I mean, we're still dealing with a post Larry David world. So um, mm-hmm. I, I and and we've still got you know whatever over over a dozen episodes left or whatever it is. So we'll I I'm holding out hope because I've loved all these episodes, but I want to like really love one. So we'll see. Maybe it's yeah, a check. Sure. Who knows? Uh, all right, is that it? <laughs> I think that's it. All right, for no hugging, no learning. I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Hallowell. Be good. Be good.